This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Good 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 it is Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Let's check out Greg Murphy. Murphy, you got a special guest, huh? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Glove Stories with Murph, a new edition. And we are really excited to uh, hear the stories being told today by one of my favorite people and one of the guys that uh, everybody in Philadelphia really enjoyed watching play while he was in a Phillies uniform. We welcome in from the West Coast, Kevin Stocker, who joins us now, former Phillies shortstop. Uh, hey, Stock, good to see you. Yeah, you too, Murph. Been a little while. It has been a little while, but uh, I'm looking forward to catching up and uh, and hearing some of the great stories. You know, you and I spent a year together on the road and uh, spent some time together. And I always uh, was always so interested in, you know, reliving some of your playing days because you always were able to tell the stories so great. So that's what we're hoping for today. But I want to start by taking you back uh, to young Kevin Stocker, growing up in Washington State, or as Larry Anderson calls it, God's country. And uh, you know, you're you're out there and playing baseball, obviously as a youngster and a high school player as well. But but you were a pretty good athlete. What other things were you involved in when uh, when you were young? Well, obviously, you know, I have a, a couple of older brothers, a twin sister. We were very athletic family. Sports was kind of our thing. Um, there wasn't a lot of, I mean, we would go out and golf and do things together, golf, bowling. It didn't matter what the sport was. Right. Uh, when you say other things, there were some things at church we would do, but it wasn't like I was volunteering to go sing in the choir, things like that. <laughs> you know, I certainly wasn't a choir boy, but um, most of the stuff we did as kids was was involved around going outside, um, playing smear the just getting crushed by my brothers, things like that. Um, that's kind of what my childhood was. But it was great. Very athletic that way. Yeah, yeah. You know, those, those are some of the best memories when you stop to think about oh, yeah. that. Uh, uh, we were doing the same things, no doubt about it. All right, well, obviously, you're an accomplished ball player. You're playing in high school and, and getting noticed. And then you go to the University of Washington, and you continue to get noticed. And then that moment that uh, I would imagine every young guy that, that plays the game of baseball dreams about. Draft day comes along, and here you are, uh, you know, with this idea that, okay, I'm going to get drafted by a Major League Baseball team. I I've had the opportunity to sit with high school players on that day, and, you know, there's cameras and hundreds of people around and family, and we're watching it on TV. It's a really big deal. But that's not how it played out for you so much, right, <laughs> when you got drafted? How did that, how did that all play Well, out? no, yeah, I mean, it, it was crazy. So uh, I went – I was. I went to college at University of Washington. It was my junior year, and there was a lot of buzz going around about draft day with me, and uh, am I going to get taken? Am I going to go in the first day, second day? Right. And to be all honest with you, the Phillies were nowhere to be seen. It was the White Sox, the Cubs, the Yankees uh, were buzzing around. I had not, I had heard nothing from the Phillies. So the first day of the draft, though, because we were on quarter system, I have like two or three finals that day. So I've been <laughs> studying all week. I head to school. You know, I'm nervous about that. I'm trying to get those done. I'm nervous about the draft. Um, I lived in an apartment with some guys. And so I get through all that. I come back to the apartment. It's late afternoon. And I'm waiting all day long, I'm waiting, watching, trying to see what's going on. Now, we didn't have social media back then, right? So we don't really know what's going on. And sure enough, it gets to be 9, 10 o'clock at night. And I still hadn't heard anything. By that time, it's over. I'm like, I guess I didn't, I didn't go as high as I wanted to. And I had told myself, if I went in the in the top three or four rounds, I'd probably sign. If I went later than that, I was going to go back to school. I had that option. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, 
10, 1030 at night, my time, the phone rings. And I get a call and it says, yeah, hello, this is, uh, this is Lee Thomas. And I went, who the hell is Lee Thomas? <laughs> like, I had no idea who Lee Thomas was. And so he's like, yeah, I just wanted to let you know we took you today in the, in the second round. And I was like, well, where the hell you been? Like, I, I, like, I didn't, you know, well, it comes to, I get on there with Lee Thomas, then Jim Fergosi gets on. It was really nice. Right. They, they talked to me and so forth. Lo and behold, what I didn't know was they didn't have a phone number of how to contact me. So they'd been trying all day to hunt me down and they were calling my parents' house. My parents were gone. So there was no way to get a phone number. They didn't know where I was. They couldn't get the coach. I think eventually, after trying enough times, they did get a hold of my parents. Again, no cell phones, right? We didn't have that. Yeah, right. And so then they got the number of where I was at. And then so I didn't get that call for me till 1030 at night, which was a great surprise. But man, that was a long day. Plus, I had to take the finals, which was really icing on the cake. So, First of all, I can't imagine... Static. I can't imagine trying to concentrate on like my chemistry right? final while I'm waiting yeah. to find out if I got, first of all, cause you know, in the back of their head, you're like, I don't need chemistry. I'm going to go play major league baseball. Well, a little but, bit of that. Yeah, yeah of course. Absolutely. That's human nature. But, uh, but wow, it, it's, it's funny to yeah. think about the world and, and so many people listening to this podcast probably don't remember uh, of the world without the internet and without cell phones, but uh, it wasn't all that long ago. And, and yeah. And I, that's I where can we tell were. you this, they were, there were no cameras there. There was no yeah. party. There was no like, you know, pre-draft, <laughs> nothing like that. It was like, you know, you just, well, I hope you your roommates you at least celebrated with you when you got the word. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we good, took care of that. <laughs> I had more finals the next day, Murph. Oh, that's, that is unbelievable. That is, <laughs> that's great stuff. All right. So you get drafted in 91 and you didn't spend a whole lot of time down in the, in the no. minor leagues, which is is terrific you know you don't want to have to spend too much time down there do you have uh what, what do you remember about the minor leagues is most of the guys i talk to the first thing that pops up is the travel you know <laughs> travel is is tough what, what were your what were your memories of of the minor leagues well you know the travel i i didn't mind that so much because playing up in the northwest when we played in back then it was the norpac we okay. traveled everywhere by vans. I mean, we stuffed in vans and traveled five hours, three hours. So that was no big deal to me. I, I do remember getting drafted and signed. They sent me to Spartanburg, South Carolina. So I jumped the short A and went to the long A in Spartanburg. I'd never been across the, the Mississippi. I'd never flown that far. So I, you know, I was a second round pick, man. I, I fly all the way to Spartanburg. I get off in the airport and I'm looking around for my limo. I'm like, where's my ride, man? I'm like, I, what do yeah. I do? I had no idea. Literally, I had my baseball bag and a suitcase. This is how I get, this is how I get introduced to Spartan. So I get on the telephone and I call my older brother collect. And I said, Hey, cause he had been, he had, believe it or not, he'd been drafted by the Phillies for one season. And he said, Hey man, why are you calling me? Get into a taxi and go to the field. So right. one in the afternoon in Spartanburg, I go to the field and Mel Roberts was the manager back then. And I walk out in the, a big opening out in left field and walk onto the field as the team is practicing with my bags and walk <laughs> in. He says, how you doing? Come on in. I get a uniform. I get a roommate because someone had to be sent out. So I had a roommate and that's how I started. And then I do remember I was awful. I mean, I was awful in Spartanburg. I mean, I was, you know, couldn't hit a lick, never used a wood bat, but I progressively, I remember going into like the, the, the extended winter stuff down in Clearwater, my first spring training, moving up pretty quick, which was right. nice. Um, learning how to deal with hitting instructors at every level, all of that sort of thing. So the minor leagues was fine with me. Now, I will tell you, I did. I got lucky in that it was about two, two and a half months at every level. 
Yeah. I know I played with some guys that were at the same level three years. And that I think would be a little bit challenging to always keep that hunger to get out of there. But um, yeah, so, it, it, you know, I was lucky that it moved, it moved uh, pretty fast. It did. And then, you know, jump ahead to 1993 and about midway through the season, uh, it really progresses for you because uh, you get word that you are uh, coming up to the big leagues. Uh, the Phillies had a hole at shortstop and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do. And they had man, tried a couple of different guys in that role. And finally, Lee Thomas said, someone get me stalker up here. Uh, what do you remember about the, the day you got called up? And I know oh, man. The, the night you got called up was epic. And I know you're going to tell us that, but what do you remember about that phone call? Well, I understand I'm in AAA. George Culver's the manager. Um, I was hitting lead up, but not, I wasn't hitting great. But like you said, they needed someone that could catch the ball. And that's one yeah. thing I could do. Game ends. Uh, we ended our game up there at uh, uh, AAA, 1130 at night. I'm packed. We're leaving the next day. We're flying the next day. I can't remember where we're going. I get a phone call from George at 11, 1130 at night. And says, hey, Kevin, blah, blah, blah. You're getting called up. Of course, immediately you're nervous. But then I'm like, I've got to get all my stuff and get down to Philly tomorrow. And so I pack up and that sort of thing. I get up early the next morning and I go to the ballpark there in Scranton to get my bats and some other stuff, all my glove, all that. It's there. It's packed. When I get there, it's already gone. They took it to the airport. Oh, geez. <laughs> right. So I show up and I'm like, I, I, I can't get, you know, what bats I have, my glove. Have so they drag me to the airport. So I drive out to Scranton to their little airport. I go up to the counter in the morning. This is like seven, eight in the morning, whatever it is. And I tell them what's going on. So at that time we could go back. So she directs me out onto the tarmac and I go out and I had to dig through the bat bags. I'm pulling bats out. I'm getting all my glove. And I'm literally, the more that I talk about this, it's like every time I travel somewhere, I have a problem, but I get all the stuff packed up, get it in my car. I go down to Philly. Now remind, mind you, I've not been to Philly before. Mm -hmm. So I'm with the Phillies, but I've never been there have no idea what where vet stadium is. I get completely lost trying to figure out how to get in. Finally my, make my way there. And when I get in, they direct me to the, I, you know, I get all my stuff. I go into the clubhouse. And of course I'm right next to Darren Dalton. They put me right down in the ghetto at the time. I'm like, okay. And then Larry Boa comes over and he's, you know, he's talking everything like that. So that was kind of the start of the first day. Just getting to the field yeah. was a challenge enough. And of course you're, you're nervous and so forth. So, and then of course the, yeah, the, the game was crazy. The game itself you know it's interesting how much did you know i mean I, I guess you had a pretty good idea of what was happening with the big club in philadelphia i mean they had got off to that incredible start and they were in first place and they had become this national story because of the the curmudgeons and i can say that because i know them all they were in that clubhouse you know macho row and there was just so much personality in that room as a young player making your major league debut there's enough nerves there, you know, with just that part of it. How much more was it when you, you're you're right down in the midst of, uh, you know, John Cruck and Mitch Williams and and Darren Dalton and the, and the gang? Well, th this is where I think the like Lee Thomas and Fregosi, those guys had the the vision of what could be coming. And what I mean by that is they had brought me into spring training as a as an invitee. Now I've only I'd only been playing for two years, a little right. less than two years, and I'm like. I'm so young, I'm 23, and they brought me in. So I got to know the guys in spring training. They got to know me a little bit. They knew I was quiet. Um, I, I, was, I was pretty quiet, but I asked a lot of questions. I could ask Darren or Cruck or whoever. And so I wasn't, I was nervous, but I wasn't intimidated by these guys. I mean, they okay. still love the game of baseball. I like right. that. 
Um, you're right. They were curmudgeons. They had their, they had their, I mean, they had some unique stuff, man. And I, and I'm sure I picked up some of that, but that really helped. So when I went in, they could come over and say, Hey stock, you know, just knowing my nickname, how you doing that sort of thing. And, um, so that really helped. That's where I think that, and I, and I found out later, Murph, I didn't know this, but I guess the night before Fergosi called in like Dalton and Crook and Holland and called them into the office and said, Hey, we're, we're going to call stalker up. So kind of take it easy. They gave him a little bit of the, now I don't believe that those guys would have hammered me, believe it or not. I mean, they were, they were not like that. They like to have fun, but yeah. So it helped to get to know them in spring training for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so you come up, and, and I know you've talked about this uh, game before, but it, it's an epic game. I, I remember watching this game, my brother and I, watching this game. We were on our way to Hilton Head, South Carolina, the next morning, but we stayed up until the you know the wee hours of the night. Nice. Watching, yeah, because it was it was such a, you know, first of all, the season was so magical, but again, it was just one of those games. 20 innings in your first game, you play all 20. Yeah. You set a, 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 a record for the most at-bats ever in a major league debut that no one's ever come close to. I think he had nine at plate appearances in that it's game. It's crazy, yeah. It, so it's good. nuts. And, and you know, you had an error, but you also had a great play late in the game to, to help the team win. A little bit of everything that day. And, and talk about, you know, I remember um, coming into the clubhouse to start, that, to start that night, and they had the lineup. I don't know if you remember. I don't even know, you know, back then, they had sure. the lineup yep. next to the doors going down. And my name was not in the lineup. Me being, again, being so naive, it's two or three in the afternoon. I'm thinking the lineup's already up. So I'm not in there. Duncan's playing short, whatever. So I take BP. Everything's great. I come back in and see that Vukovic had, had taken athletic tape and taped it over the eight hitter and wrote my name in there. Oh, then it was real, right? <laughs> and so the game starts. And, and sure enough, you get out there. And fortunately, I got a double play ball in that first inning. Yep. And that really calmed down my nerves a little bit to kind of get going and so forth. And I didn't know it was going to go 20 innings, but so many things happened in that game. I mean, um, and that leads into, I'm just going to tell you, cause I, I got to tell you, so I, Dykstra's our lead off hitter, right? And I got right. to know the dude a little bit. And so the game starts and it is, it is so hot. I had no idea what July was like in Philly, right? So it's hot and humid it's down in that turf. And we come off the field after the bottom of that first inning and, and we're hitting. So I'm nervous. So I'm down under the tunnel, getting my gloves, my helmet, kind of getting the nerves out. Lenny gets up, he gets on base. Lenny typical, right? So Lenny's got dirt. He's got chew all over. You know how Lenny was, right? He gets stuff. on first base, steals second, he's dirty, scores on a base hit, on a slide at home plate, comes in, high five. And I'm down under the tunnel and I'm getting my, my stuff ready. And I'm just sitting. He comes down in and he sits on a bucket. Lenny does. And he sits there and his back's against the wall and he's got this big water chew and, and he leans over and he's just, just kind of like, he's just spitting out all this chew, right? So you can imagine, and I'm just looking down at him. I'm looking, I'm like, okay, okay. So he cleanly looks up and he reaches up on top of an electrical box and he grabs another big pack of chew and he just starts jamming in a fresh wad, right? Jamming and jamming it in, puts it back, pulls down some cigarettes puts in a big drag and lights the cigarette. So he's got his chew, takes a big drag on his cigarette, which I didn't smoke. And I was like, they smoke in the big league? Like, what is this? I had no idea. <laughs> not everyone, but yeah. <laughs> I, not everyone. Yeah, not everyone. Forgive me. This, and this was a different time. You don't sure. see that now. But man, he takes a big puff and he leans back and he just looks up and he just goes, welcome to the big leagues, kid. Just like that. And I'm just like, oh my God, what's going on? It's like yeah, a scene so, from a movie. It really oh is. Gosh. I mean, if you think about it, yeah insane and then yeah then we went that whole game went 20 innings and then we and i was like you said i 
I was 0 for 6, had, had a few walks. Yep. I did have an error. I did make a really nice play. I had a bunt at the, you know, that helped get that lat in the bottom right. of the 20th. So, so yeah, so we won in 20 innings and then we all come in and everybody's happy, right? Everybody's good. We're like, man, this is great. We won. Stocker got his first game. I'm so excited. And it's 1.30 in the morning. Murph's watching. We could, I mean, everybody's happy. <laughs> I was up. Yep. Yeah. And I get a tap on my shoulder. And I'm like, what? Oh, and it's Dennis Mankey, our hitting instructor. And he goes, hey, get your bat and get into the office right now. Manager's office. So, I, okay. Now, mind you, I'm in a t-shirt and underwear. Okay. Grab my bat. I go in. Not only am I, all, there's Fragosi, Mankey, and Lara Boa in the, in the office. And we're all in t-shirts and underwear because we're like, just, and we're in there. And they're literally like chewing me out because I had chances to win the game. I had a couple of chances to get a base hit and win and ground it out weak. And they were, they had to bat my shoulder and they're adjusting my shoulders and they're doing all this stuff as we're in there in flip-flops and underwear. And they had seen something that was different from when I was in spring training. Okay. And that was, again, another one of those learning lessons where when you come up, you got to be ready. And, and, and if they see some win or not, it's a long season. And they saw something, and I was, I was in that office right away, came in the next day, made some adjustments, and then started hitting like crazy. But yeah. that was an eventful 20 innings for sure. No doubt about it. And what a day. And, and you know, you probably remember, remember it like it was yesterday. And I think a lot of Phillies fans probably do as well. It, it, it's a great story. And, and the story of 93, I, you know, this is a big picture question, but I wonder just how different your life would be if, if 93 didn't happen. I mean, you know, forever you're remembered here in Philadelphia for that 93 season and being a part of that team that is so beloved in Philadelphia uh, and you know, you start the season, not knowing if you're going to be a part of that and you end the season in the world series. I mean, that, that's a, that's a pretty great ride for, for a year of the life, right? Well, it's easy to get to the world series, Murph, you know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I, I got called up. And I'm like, the the What's the big deal? <laughs> they but, needed you uh, to you know, get there. That was the thing. <laughs> oh, you're very kind. But I, I would tell you that's a great point in that, in that I learned real quick too, is you know, when you have success as a team like that, everybody has success. Everybody has a good year. That prolongs your career in the big leagues. There's no doubt about it that by coming up and winning as a team, the pressure was off me because I was young and just really needed to catch the ball. That when you win as a team, you stay at, everybody tends to get contracts and you stay up there. So I do think that that was a, certainly a launch pad for me to stay in the big leagues longer, as well as playing in Philly because yeah. playing in the Northeast is like nowhere else. And so when you win in the North week, Northeast and people like you, you tend to stay longer in that career. And I think that certainly helps mine. Yeah. And I think that's true right across the board for this 93 team. I mean, when you think about uh, the guys from top to bottom, I mean, sure. You know, you had guys like Kruk who were, you know, all-stars, uh, Darren Dalton, all-star, but, but collectively that, 27 28 30 guys that, that made up the 93 team uh, all said and done uh you know come back to philadelphia and people want to want to hear from you they want to talk to you because they, they love that season so much um so yeah. it, it's cool it's very cool so so the career continues and and you know the lean years kind of returned to philadelphia after 93 unfortunately yeah. um and and you know you continue and and are playing solid shortstop and then in, up comes what was it uh 97 the the expansion draft and you're at home thinking getting ready for you know come back for another season in philadelphia and then boom life throws your yeah. curveball right right so the, the so the the draft was right after that 97 season and 
Mickey and I had played and had pretty good years that year, solid years, played a lot of games. I can remember the tail end, the, you know, right before the draft deadline that year, you know, Texas and all these teams were calling Philadelphia about a trade. They needed a shortstop and yada, yada, all this stuff. So I knew that was coming, but then I didn't get traded. So I'm like, okay, I get to stay in Philly. This is where I'm happy. I love it. I have a home. I've got a daughter. I'm married. This is great. Yeah. I'm at home cooking dinner with my wife and the expansion draft starts. I don't remember what month it was, but it was after the season and the expansion drafts going. We're just having a good time. And and we're like, Hey, did you see that? That little ticker go across the, (laughs) that kind of looked, that might've been me. And sure enough, the phone rings and my wife answers it again no cell phone answers and says, hello. And then there was something like, you know, Hey Brooke, and then hang up. And she goes, I think that might've been Lee Thomas. And we're like, okay, wait a minute. What's going on? Sure enough. All of a sudden I'm like, I think I just got traded. <laughs> and we're like trying to make dinner. And sure enough, I got a phone call again. It was in the evening. Sometimes I said, and it was real blunt. It was just says, Hey, we, we made a trade for Bobby Abreu. You're going to head down to Tampa. Would you mind doing some press on the phone? And so I did. And, Literally, Murph, we were like, well, okay, you know, you take it. How do you take that? You, we're going to miss Philly, but this is opportunity for something sure. new. Let's, let's do it. Let's give it a shot. And so we sold our house within a week. And then we, we moved, ended up moving down to uh, St. Petersburg, down to Florida to, to play with Tampa. So that was the first experience I had of how quickly uh, you can just be traded just like that, no matter what happens and where you're at. Yeah, the business side of baseball, and and you know, exactly. forget uh, you know human beings with families and and stuff, but uh, it, it it turns your world upside down. Uh, at least Tampa's yeah, a nice place to go. I mean, expansion an expansion team at the time, but uh, certainly a nice place to spend a couple of years, uh, eh, weather wise. Eh. <laughs> weather wise, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're with uh, you're with actually. Let me back up a little bit because I know there was a story you wanted to tell about uh, an injury that you that occurred when you were playing for the Phil still um, a pop up uh, out in Oakland that uh, that ended with uh, with the conversation with the Phillies trainer Jeff Cooper. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we were out uh, playing in Oakland, and in if you recall, Oakland has just a ton of outfield and space. Yeah. So I'm playing shortstop. So the visiting team were on the first base dugout. Now, if you know Jeff Cooper, he had the big old handlebar mustache. He kind of mumbles. Great trainer at the time, but we'll, you know. So I'm playing short, and a pop-up goes over the third baseman's head. I can't remember who's playing. You know, I don't remember what year it was. I just remember I turned to my right and going backwards, and I'm on a dead sprint for this ball. Because there's so much foul territory, the ball's really high. I truly feel like I'm going to get it. So I'm looking up. Imagine I'm looking up and running backwards like this. Well, the umpires that are over there on that side, they're supposed to be, instead of watching the five, the foul ball, they're supposed to watch the guys running for the foul ball to avoid them. And this umpire, I don't know who, he's just like this. He's looking up, he's kind of running out at the same time. So I'm on full tilt and he's kind of running out and we literally just go boom and boom down. And so I'm out there. I'm about as far out as the left fielder can be. So I just get knocked, like I'm knocked silly. I got the wind knocked out of me my head is like, and I'm down. So I'm on my back trying to figure out where I'm at, this and that. So I'm, I'm just laying there. So Cooper comes out of the first base dugout and he's jogging all the way out. So he has to come across the pitching mound, across shot, all the way out to the left field. And I'm laying there and he comes and he's kind of checking, he sits me up and he's like, how you doing? Mumbling, this and that. And I said, I think I'm okay. So I stand up and I'm still a little bit, I'm really not feeling that great, but I'm, I don't want to come out. Right. I said, all right, I think I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And he, he just kind of got really quiet into a stock. 
I ran all the way out here. You're coming out of this freaking game. That's exactly <laughs> what he said to me. I didn't have a choice. There was nobody else. He just goes, I ran all the way out here. Out of this game. So then we walked together all the way back in, regardless of how I felt. He had run that far, yeah. and he said, "You're coming out. I'm not." And coming you out didn't argue with Coop. You, it, it no, you didn't argue. You with didn't Coop. argue. With yeah, him. and yeah. yeah, and of course, you get to know those trainers well. They take good care of you. So they, they yeah, so be. that was quite a memory with him. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. All right, uh, before I let you go, um, we had talked uh, about uh, travel in the minor leagues and uh, how it can, you know, can be a little bit of a grind. But travel in the major leagues, albeit first class is not always without uh, issues and complications. And you found that out when you were in Tampa. Uh, a simple bus ride turns into craziness, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, literally, you have to understand a week before we started down there in 98, um, to preface that, I'm in a dentist chair and can literally see the dome in downtown St. Petersburg. And the, and the gal asked me what I do for a living. And I said, I play for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. She goes, oh, is that a new soccer team in town? <laughs> and you could look out the window and see and their see it <laughs> and see it and she didn't know that we were coming but yeah like we had a game that ended on, and we were heading to the airport two buses as you know and uh first bus takes off they go to the airport we're great we get on the second bus and i'm on there with me and and boggs and fred mcgriff and we're going and all of a sudden we get on the freeway we're five minutes down the freeway and we start smelling a little bit of smoke mm -hmm. and we're like what and we look back and in the restroom on the bus smoke is billowing out starts billowing. So we start screaming like, you know, fire, something, smoke, smoke. So the bus driver pulls over on the freeway that they're heading to the airport. We all pile off and we, and we move down and we're all sitting on the cars are going and literally a scene out of a movie within yeah. 20 minutes, there are full flames, windows blown out. The entire bus catches on fire. Fire trucks come ripping down the other direction and cross the lane. The whole thing blows up because wow. a, a tire had something had broken the back tire went up through the bottom of the restroom and was rubbing and started a fire this was the travel <laughs> consistently had in in tava sometimes we're like are we gonna make it we didn't know we're gonna make it so it really is like a, a scene from a movie it really it is. was a it was the first oh, year expansion did yeah. the did all the equipment get burned up and well i mean because normally that's under the bus at that a point, lot of right? it well when we got off we took all of our stuff and okay. a lot of the equipment we have underneath is mostly just personal stuff, right? Okay. From underneath this, because it goes on a separate truck. So right. we, he lifted them up, guys pulled everything off. And then 20 minutes later, yeah, we had flames. Wow. So the bus was gone. And so then the other bus had to come back and get us. <laughs> and the guys were like, <laughs> where are you guys? Yeah, well, well, at least you finally got, you got on the news in Tampa for, for at least for, for something. They there might not have known the baseball team was coming, but you know what? You know, you get on, you get Never, on the news You anyway. can always see the positive <laughs> in anything. That's why I love you, man. <laughs> you know, you, you, any press is good press. That's the way we look at it, right? I hey, like Kev, I, I want to say thank you so much uh, for, for being with us. I, I knew this was going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we miss you out there on the road. Uh, we, you know, we spent the, that year together. It was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah. always great to see you. Uh, hopefully I'll see you again at Fantasy Camp coming up real soon. Can't wait. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. You guys. All right, Kevin Stocker, Bye, uh, for former Phillies shortstop with us here on Glove Stories with Murph when we come back. Charlie Manuel will join us to relive one of those special games from 2008. All right, everybody, welcome back to Glove Stories. Our thanks to Kevin Stocker for spending a couple of minutes with us this afternoon. And now we welcome in 
Charlie Manuel, the winningest manager in Philly's history as we relive another one of those magical games from the 2008 season. Charlie, good to see you. Uh, we're going to relive Friday, May 2nd, 2008. All right. Now, let me set the stage for our listeners. It was game 30 of the season. The team was 16 and 13 at the time, and you were coming into the game a half game up in the NL East. You had just taken two of three from the Padres and now the San Francisco Giants, a good team, coming to Citizens Bank Park. The pitching matchup was Pat Mish versus Kyle Kendrick. And, you know, it was early in the season, Charlie, but these games mattered because you knew the Giants were going to be in the thick of things, right? Without a doubt. You know, like they had a good team and you like they had a very good team. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, you know, like, and, and everybody in baseball liked their team. And they were they were a big favorite, and uh, you know, uh, they had tremendous pitching at that time. They certainly and, did. Well, Pat Mish was know, on the mound taking on your potent lineup, and uh, the Giants they went quickly in the first inning. And then the bottom of the first, Victorino grounds out the third. Jason Worth walks, and then he quickly steals second base, which he did so many times that year. And up comes Chase Utley, and on a 3-2 count, he hits one out. And he gets you guys on the board early, and time and time again, it seemed like Utley was able to do that. Right. I want to tell you something. Uh, I think that's what makes Utley such a great player. He can come. He used to come up uh, in big moments of the game. And he definitely, uh, you know, like he could get us going at the start of the game, or he could he could do something uh, to win the game at the at the back end of it yeah. too. Sometime, I mean, you like he was. That's what that's that's what he did for us. I mean, that was uh, everything he did. But he he kind of set examples of you know like uh, like how we wanted to play. Yeah, uh, you know, like that's what. I, but I, I I remember this. I remember what was worth stealing second base. He <laughs> talked. I swear to God, I can see popping up like he's going to go to third or something. And then, I, I, and also, I remember the home run very well. Yeah, I think we forget how many times he uh, he right. made things happen with his legs, Jason Worth. All right, well, <laughs> Kyle Kyle was on the hill, and he got a little shaky in the fourth. The Giants let off with a single. Then he got two quick outs on a double play. But then Aaron Rowan doubled, and John Bowker singled with runners at second and third. Jose Castilla singled, and Rowan scored. Kendrick gets out of the inning with no other damage, so that was good. Phil's are. 4-1, and then in the bottom of the fourth, a two-run home run from Pedro Feliz. We, you know, a guy that we don't talk enough about about on that 2008 team because again, he came up in some big moments, especially in the postseason. Right, uh, Pedro. Uh, uh, you know, like he was the guy that got overlooked a lot as far as attention goes and things like that. He and he definitely could get some big hits, big ribbies for us. And uh, if if when you look, want to talk about our lineup. If you know when Pedro and uh, and Chuch at the bottom of our lineup, I want to tell you something. We were that was pretty solid. You know, like we didn't never talk about you know how much they did. Uh, you know, like kind of uh, help our uh, uh, lineup. And they they definitely you know like did uh, carry their load in our lineup. And they they got big hits for us. Yeah, those guys in the back of a lineup. That's saying something. That just shows you just how good that offensive team was. No doubt about it. He could pick it yeah. over there at third too. So all right. So 4-1, it stayed that way until the seventh. Kendrick was starting to run out of gas at that point. He uh, lets up back-to-back singles to start the inning. You pull him, and you send in Ryan Madsen. Velez singles to load the bases, then Madsen strikes out Fred Lewis. Then a base hit to Ray Durham makes it 4-3, and another single in fielder's choice ties the game at four, and all of a sudden, that lead you had late in the game is gone, and a couple of big arms from your bullpen were the the reason at this point. 
Right. You know, like I, uh, when after where, when I'm, uh, when I pulled uh, Kindred and put, uh, uh, Kindred put, uh, Kyle and put uh, 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 Matson in the game that day, you know, like if you, uh, it seemed like, you know, like he was having trouble uh, putting the ball where he wanted to. And, and, and uh, he got behind on the hitters. And I think that definitely was the reason that, uh, that they started getting to him, you know, like, yeah. you know, like when he first came in. You know, Kendrick was solid that season, but uh, you know, he got to that point late in the game that he, he needed that bullpen to come in and, and shut it down, and that's what you were looking for him to do. They're unable to do it in the seventh, but Tom Gordon does his job in the eighth, and so does Lidge in the ninth. You go to your closer because you're tied at home. So we're headed to extra innings. In top of the tenth with J.C. Romero in the game, Aaron Rowan leads off with a solo home run, makes it 5-4 Giants. And just like that, it looks like this game is going to end up in a loss right. at the bottom of the tenth. Down one, facing Giants right. closer, closer Brian Wilson, right. comes the heart of your order. Worth strikes out, but Utley, there he is, face hit. Brian right. strikes out and upsets Pat Farrell, and I know you remember this. Right, right. I do totally remember it because, uh, you know, like he hits a home run off of him, and Wilson's got a big arm. He throws, he throws hard. At that, at that time, he was one of the best closers in baseball, I thought. And it was, a, I mean, it was a big hit at a, in a big game, big hit. And uh, it was a heck of a ball game. I remember that, but also I remember exactly where Pat's home run went. It just went to the left of center field, and it went right over uh, the, the sign out here. And I was yep. looking at the State Farm <laughs> sign, and it, uh, and it actually went up in there pretty good. And, yeah. uh, and he smoked the ball, and, and he was very excited about it. I, you know, like, uh, uh, like we were talking, I think he pointed into the dugout. And, you know, like when he, when he hit yeah, I do think he pointed in a dugout. It was a huge moment. And again, we're talking about a, a, a game in May of a season that you didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but it was just another big game, another big win with some of your biggest players coming up in the clutch. And it was it was right. fun. I remember that game. I remember watching it <laughs> like it was yesterday, which is yeah. really cool. The team would go on to win uh, in another walk-off on Sunday. You took two out of three from the Giants, and you increased your lead in the NL East at that point. And as we say, the rest continued to unfold and became history. Well, a good win for the Phils back there in May. Uh, Charlie, always good to see you. We're going to say goodbye and uh, welcome in Todd Zalecki here on Glove Stories with Murph coming up after the break. But, Charlie, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks, Greg. We welcome you back to Glove Stories with Murph, and uh, now it's time to check in on the 2021 Philadelphia Phillies, and we do that with uh, MLB beat writer for MLB.com, Phillies beat writer for MLB.com, Todd Zalecki, who joins us here today. Todd, good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. It's good to be on. Well, let's talk a little bit about this squad. It's been up and down so far this season as we sit and record this. Uh, the Phillies have been good some days and not so good other days. <laughs> The biggest problem and that everyone's talking about right now is that center field issue. How does this resolve itself? Are we going to see a couple new faces run through that center field, do you think? I I have to think so, um, it, it, unless things improve dramatically. Like some of the numbers right now through these first few weeks are just, it's crazy how much they've struggled. And um, I know it's a controversial subject, I guess, but I, I've got to think that at some point, 
if it continues like this, they're going to see Odubel Herrera uh, in the big leagues. I, I mean, I was not, I wasn't in Clearwater the whole time this spring, Greg. Like I was down there for like three weeks, and to me, he was the best player. Um, even though he kind of struggled at the end, but he's got the best track record of any outfielder. Um, I think he's got the most talent of any outfielder. He hasn't played in a long time, obviously. Right. Um, but I, I have to think if it continues like this, that that we're going to see Odubel just because, uh, you know, there's really nobody left in, in the farm system. I mean, Travis Jankowski is down there, but how do you pick Travis Jankowski over Odubel right. Herrera? I don't see how, how that happens. And, um, you know, people are saying, well, what about a trade? Well, I, they're already paying Odubel $10.5 million, so... I think you got to hit if you're going to, and there might be other holes to fill, you know, so you don't want to trade a prospect or two to fill a center field hole when you have a potential option in the minor leagues. Yeah. And, and look, Dave Dombrowski and Sam full, they have a responsibility to this organization to put the best team on the field. We know Odubel Herrera comes with his own personal baggage, but uh, you know, their job is to win baseball games and he might be the best choice. Yes. And, and they have made a point to say, listen, you know, um, he's, he's been punished by MLB. He's served a suspension. Um, we there, there can't be a double jeopardy situation. So everything from this point forward, and they said this right at the beginning of camp, everything now is about baseball. And so if that is true, and if it is just about baseball, I have to think he's, gonna, I just have to think he's going to have to get an opportunity, whether it's next week or next month, you know, Joe and, and Joe has said that. Yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, it probably happens. It has to happen uh, sooner rather right. than later. All right, so the offense, to me, has been a little bit of a head-scratcher. We came into this season thinking, hey, this is going to be a team that score runs. They scored runs last year. It's a pretty similar lineup. S individual guys are swinging the bat well, but collectively, they're, more often than not, the offense seems to be uh, missing. And, and it's a big hole in the back end, seven, eight, nine, which is the problem. Yeah, that is that is a big problem, and that was the one thing I get think coming into this season. Like, well, you know, you're not gonna have to worry about the offense; they're gonna right. score a ton of runs. And um, a couple of things that really jumped out at me is, you know, Andrew McCutcheon's really struggled in the leadoff spot, and you know, he just hasn't been getting on base enough. And that's kind of like, at the very least, you think he's gonna get on base a lot, and he hasn't really been doing that. And kind of very quietly, Alec Bohm hasn't been the guy that he was last season. And it, you know, it's not like you expect him to go out and hit three thirty because that was really crazy what he did. He had an unbelievable year, but he hasn't re really been hitting for a lot of power. He hasn't really been taking advantage of those RBI opportunities like he had last year. I think he's going to be fine. I'm not worried about Alec Bohm. I'm just saying that that's something that's kind of jumped out at me over the first few weeks. And then, of course, you know, the center field position, you know, not having a hit in, like, it seems forever. <laughs> you put those three things together, put those three guys together, and then, you know, and not everybody's going to hit every night. You go, right. oh, okay, this, this kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a glaring problem at this point, as you mentioned, because it's really seven, eight, nine, one, when you stop to think about it, that's, yes. uh, that's a lot of guys struggling in a row in a lineup and it's going to be hard to score runs that way for sure. Right. And so I think Bohm's going to come around, um, you know, I guess you have to hope that McCutcheon comes around because yeah. again, we're talking about like a lack of options in center field. Well, if you start saying, well, we need a new left fielder or a new center fielder, now, now you're really, now you're in really deep trouble. Yeah. So you got you have to hope kind of that he gets things going at some point. Um, if 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 this offense is going to go.
All right. Before I let you go, Aaron Nola, uh, again, up and down this season. Uh, again, while we sit and tape this, Aaron was uh, absolutely terrific in his last start. Uh, where, where does Aaron fall for you? You know, somewhere in between the complete game shutout and then the, uh, the two gate starts that he had before that. You know, I, yeah, I, I think he's closer. Well, I, I shouldn't say he's closer. Well, yeah, he's closer to the shutout guy than he is to the guy that struggled. He's, he's a very good pitcher. And yeah. I've had a lot of people say to me, Oh, is he, is, is he an ace? Is he Max Scherzer? Is he Jacob DeGrom? Well, no, he's not those guys, but I think he's in the next step below. So if you want to call him a true ace, is he Roy Halladay? Uh, no, he's not Roy Halladay, but uh, he can help you win a ton of baseball games. Yeah. And I think mo most nights he's very, very good. And if you put a lot, I don't know how much stock you, you put into war or whatever, but it's a good, somewhat of a good measuring stick. Sure. I looked this up the other day. He's eighth in baseball among all pitchers in war since the 2017 season. So, and the guys above him are Scherzer, DeGrom, Cole, Verlander, yeah. Trevor Bauer, Okay, if those guys are aces and he's not them, it's still it's a guy you want in your it's a, that's a guy you want in your rotation that you need to have in your rotation if you're going to win baseball games. Agreed. I, my delineation is uh, there are thirty number ones in baseball, and he is absolutely deserving of the number one label. But there are very few aces. There may be six or seven, and and there's right. a difference between that. He's a one, might not be an ace yet, but but he could get there. So hey, you mentioned an ace, Doc uh, Roy Halladay. Your book, the Doc, The Life of Roy Halladay, has been on the shelves for about a year now. A terrific read, a great story. Before we let you go, why did you want to tell Doc's story? Um, I, I think there's a couple of reasons. And one was just a conversation he had after he retired. He said, I want to go back to school and really help out players with the mental side of the game. And you know, then he became a mental skills coach for the Phillies. And I thought that was so fascinating because you know, you think of a Hall of Famer that has all that money, they could, they, he could have just golfed and fished for the rest of his life, but he actually wanted to help people because he struggled so much in his career on the mental side of the game. And so I thought if I could go back and maybe find some interviews, find some things, and maybe kind of put his words into, into a book, maybe it could help people. And what's been cool is that I've actually heard from like current and former like big league and minor league pitchers and coaches that said, hey, this book could help me. Um, I've, I've learned some things from this. That's really cool. And I've also heard from like, you know, parents with kids, you know, because Roy was big into having kids have fun playing baseball because he was pushed really hard as a kid. And they said, well, this kind of gives me a different perspective in terms of how I want to push my kid or my son or my daughter or whatever. And then the other thing is, is just to kind of tell a story because, you know, obviously he died the way he did tragically and all the stuff that surrounded it. And I wanted to kind of explain kind of what happened and how everything's not so black and white. And I've actually heard from people who have, you know, you know, suffered from depression or addiction. And, and they've said, you know, this book really kind of inspired them to, you know, kind of keep fighting or, you know, seek help. And I mean, that part I didn't expect, but that part's really kind of blown me away as well. And, and so, um, but, you know, that whole mental side of him and how that mental edge, she thinks, really made him in a hall of fame pitcher and you go that's is so important you can be super talented we, we we know pitchers that are talented you know in the phillies and elsewhere that can't put it together because you go oh i'm mentally it's not there and uh he was the same way but he got locked in dialed in and then you know off he went yeah well it is a terrific story doc the life of roy Halliday. and if you are a phillies fan a baseball fan uh this podcast is all about great stories and it's albeit a tragic one at the end this was a terrific story and uh should pick it up. Todd, thanks so much for being with us for a couple minutes and we'll talk to you soon.
Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Glove Stories with Murph is a presentation of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Head. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of the major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so that we can let you know when a new episode of Glove Stories is available. We'll release new episodes weekly throughout the 2021 Major League Baseball season.